0: Welcome to This Week in the Lectionary, a podcast we're looking at, listening to, and lingering in the weekly scriptures found in the Revised Common Lectionary. Faith comes from hearing, so let us together hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Palm Sunday, Year A. Our texts this week are going to focus our attention on Jesus's crucifixion. From both the Old Testament and the psalm, we get a glimpse into Jesus's experience as the suffering servant. The epistle will help us understand how God responds or responded to Jesus's sacrifice. And then in the gospel, we get a portion of the passion narrative. We begin with prayer. Almighty and ever living God, in your tender love for the human race, you sent your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to take upon him our nature, and to suffer death upon the cross, giving us the example of his great humility. Mercifully grant that we may walk in the way of his suffering, and also share in his resurrection. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. The first reading comes from Isaiah 50. The part of Isaiah written in exile, chapters 40 to 55, contains four servant songs, sections that interrupt the flow of the book but have a unity within themselves. The first, found in chapter 42, begins, here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen. In the second, found in chapter 49, the servant, abused and humiliated, is commissioned anew. In the third, our passage, he is disciplined and strengthened by his suffering. And in the fourth, the end of chapter 42 into chapter 53, even the Gentiles are in awesome contemplation before the suffering and rejected servant. In late Judaism, he was seen as the perfect Israelite, one of supreme holiness, a Messiah. In the Gospels, Jesus identifies himself as the servant, the one who frees all people. In our reading, In verses 4 through 6, God has opened my ear. He has commissioned the servant as one who is taught, like a disciple. God has made him a teacher or prophet of the word of God to bring God's comfort to the weary, his fellow Israelites, who reject God. He has accepted this command. He is not rebellious. They have tortured him as they did prophets before him, but he has accepted their insult and spitting. In verses 7 to 9, in courtroom language, the servant says that because God helps him, he is not disgraced. He confidently accepts the suffering, and he will not be put to shame. God will prove him right. He is willing to face his adversaries, his accusers, for the godly to stand up together with him against the ungodly. He is confident that, with God's help, none will find or declare him guilty. Isaiah 50 beginning in verse four. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning, he wakens, wakens my ear to listen to those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who will declare me guilty? The word of the Lord. The psalm comes from Psalm 31. The psalmist seeks deliverance from personal enemies. He is in distress. His troubles have led to ill health. His strength fails him. Perhaps he is terminally ill. He's scorned by all his enemies and even by his neighbors. His friends avoid him. People forget about him as though he's already dead. He feels as useless as something thrown away. People are conducting a whispering campaign against him and they scheme to take his life but he accepts God personally. He has confidence in God. His destiny is safe in God's hands. He trusts that God will deliver him from his adversaries and persecutors. Seeing himself as a servant, he cries, let me experience you, O God. May God and his compassion save him from all that besets him. In the final verses, perhaps written later, he gives thanks to God for hearing his call for help. God's unfailing love for him in his distress was wonderful. May his experience be an example for others. Psalm 31, beginning in verse 9. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye is consumed with sorrow, and also my throat and my belly. For my life is wasted with grief, and my years with sighing. My strength fails me because of affliction, and my bones are consumed. I have become a reproach to all my enemies, and even to my neighbors a dismay to those of my acquaintance. When they see me in the street, they avoid me. I am forgotten like a dead man, out of mind. I am as useless as a broken pot. For I have heard the whispering of the crowd. Fear is all around. They put their heads together against me. They plot to take my life. But as for me, I have trusted in you, O Lord. I have said, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face to shine upon your servant, and in your loving kindness, save me. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The second reading comes from Philippians. In the verses that precede our reading, Paul has urged the Christians at Philippi, through encouragement in Christ, and moved by God's love for them, To be of the same mindset, having the same love, being in full accord. They are to regard others as better than themselves, freely adopting a lowly, unassertive stance before others, replacing self-interest with concern for others. The first verses of our reading are an early Christian hymn to which Paul has added. He exhorts his readers to be of the same mindset as Jesus, one that is appropriate for them given their existence in Christ. Christ was in the form of God. He was already like God. He had a God-like way of being. He was not subject to death. He shared in God's very nature. Even so, he did not regard being like God as something to be exploited, to be grasped, or held onto for his own purposes. Rather, he emptied himself, made himself powerless and ineffective, as a slave is powerless, without rights. He took on the likeness of a human being, with all that it entails, except sin. Including death. As a man, he lowered or humbled himself, and throughout his life in the world, was fully human and was totally obedient to God, even to dying. Paul now adds, even to the most debasing way of dying, crucifixion, reserved for slaves and the worst criminals. God actively responded to this total denial of self, his complete living and dying for others, by placing him above all other godly people and bestowing on him the name, title, and authority of Lord over the whole universe. God has given him authority, which in the Old Testament he reserved for himself. Everyone shall worship him. Confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord is equivalent to proclaiming the victory and might of God. The ultimate goal is the glory of God the Father, the reclamation of God's sovereignty, his power over and presence in the universe. And gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father the word of the Lord the gospel comes from Matthew 27 Pilate questions Jesus you the king of the Jews you don't look like a revolutionary Some have attempted to connect him with those seeking a political messiah. Jesus' answer amounts to, yes, but not the way you mean it. Matthew portrays the Jewish authorities as instrumental in raising charges. He minimizes Pilate's guilt. Again, Jesus does not answer. Pilate is amazed because a simple peasant would protest innocence and a revolutionary would deliver a political manifesto. Jesus does neither. Outside of the Bible, Pilate is described as cruel and obstinate. Matthew shows him differently. Pilate's verdict is not mentioned, but it must have been treason to warrant crucifixion. Jesus' claims sound like a threat to Caesar's authority. The custom of releasing a prisoner at Passover is unknown outside the Bible, but such amnesties did occur at some Roman festivals. Matthew does not tell us Barabbas' crimes, but Mark implies that he is a revolutionary and probably a murderer. It is his fate, not Jesus's, that has attracted the crowd. Note the contrast between Jesus Barabbas, meaning son of the father, and Jesus, the actual son of the father. For Pilate, it would be politically wise to release Jesus, not Barabbas. He gives the Jewish leaders and people the choice. While Pilate sits in judgment, his wife urges him to release Jesus based on a dream she had about him. This pause in the proceedings gives the Jewish authorities time to stir up the crowd. They demand Jesus' crucifixion. Pilate sees no guilt in Jesus, but he takes the politically expedient path to avoid a riot. In symbolic gesture and word, Pilate pleads before God that he is innocent. Washing hands is a Jewish custom, not a Roman one. He has Jesus flogged with a leather whip containing pieces of bone or metal. At either Herod's palace or the fortress Antonia, a detachment of soldiers mocked Jesus. They dress him in a soldier's cloak, put a crown on his head and a scepter in his hand, and salute him. The thorns available would not twist easily, so the crown was probably radial, as on the Statue of Liberty, not round. Wearing it was not torture. They hailed Jesus as they did the emperor, ironically proclaiming his true identity. Cyrene was in North Africa near Benghazi, That Simon is named probably indicates that he was a Christian. The custom was for a criminal to carry the crossbar, but Jesus was already too weak to carry it himself. Flogging was usually at the place of crucifixion. Golgotha, a Greek transliteration of the Aramaic word for skull, was a small stone hill near an abandoned quarry. Jesus refuses wine mixed with gall, a sedative. He prefers to remain conscious. Matthew's description of the crucifixion is just two words in Greek the executioners divide the victim's clothes among them by lot to avoid a dispute over who gets the best. But this verse also fulfills Psalm 22, verse 18. A placard placed around Jesus' neck states his crime. They are from chapter 27, verse 2. His claim of messiahship has been twisted into a conviction for treason. Perhaps the two bandits are revolutionaries. Three groups mock him. Passers-by who scorn him, shaking their heads as a Middle Eastern gesture, and repeat the first charge made before the Sanhedrin. Next are the religious authorities who say, if you are the Messiah, work a miracle, save yourself. And lastly, those that are crucified with him. Crucifixion was a very cruel form of execution. Death from suffocation came slowly, often after several days, and resulted from the trauma caused by flogging, thirst, hunger exhaustion, and exposure. The victim's arms being stretched back made breathing difficult. While he had the strength, he periodically lifted himself with his legs to take a breath. Matthew does not explain the darkness. Jesus' cry is the first verse of Psalm 22 in Aramaic. This psalm as a whole tells of a righteous sufferer who, despite his travails, comes to trust in God. Jesus feels abandoned but not in despair, for his prayers is to the Father. Perhaps some misunderstand Jesus' words because they are spoken in pain, leading them to believe he is calling for Elijah. Based on Malachi 4.5, Jews expected Elijah to return at the end of age. The gift of sour wine is an act of kindness, but others are curious. Maybe Elijah will save him. Jesus dies suddenly, violently, and probably in pain. The curtain of the temple hung before the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest passed through it. In Matthew 1, we read of the tearing open of heaven at Jesus' baptism. In ancient cosmology, a giant bowl separated earth from heaven, a barrier between God and humanity. So both the ritual and cosmological barriers are torn open as a result of Jesus' death. It is an act of God, symbolizing the arrival of open access of humankind to God. The point of the next few verses seems to be that Jesus' death brings life. The earthquake cracks the rock, opening the tombs, and bringing saints, honored dead of Jewish tradition, to new life. But perhaps a later verse is a correction. They actually rose after his resurrection. The words of the centurion, a Gentile and member of the hated Roman army, may show only that he recognizes Jesus as a benefactor of humankind. But they're much more significant for us. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 11. Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You say so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many accusations they make against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge. So the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the festival, the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd, anyone whom they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Jesus Barabbas. So after they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that innocent man. For today I have suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? All of them said, Let him be crucified. Then he asked, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took some water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Then the people as a whole answered, His blood be on us and on our children. So he released Barabbas for them, and after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two bandits were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he wants to, for he said, I am God's son. The bandits who were crucified with him also taunted him in the same way. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. At once, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. After his resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were terrified and said, Truly this man was God's Son. The Word of the Lord. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, Grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for joining us on This Week in the Lectionary. I'm curious as to what you noticed or wonder about this week's scriptures. We'd love for you to join us in our discussion group. And if you know anyone else who could benefit from or might be a benefit to this community, feel free to share with them. May his words be a light unto your feet and a lamp unto your path in the coming week.